Greetings to all of you. This is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. For those that are new, I just briefly want to explain to you about what I'm about to share. I am here to share the Word of God out of the Spirit of God. I am not here seeking to prepare a refined outline and spend a lot of time in preparation. Rather, I am here to seek to speak what God is seeking to say by His Spirit. The Apostle Peter commanded in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And that is what I will seek to do in this message. To allow the Spirit of God to rise up and to speak what he would say to you as an individual who in God's foreknowledge has come across this message. What he would say to the body of Christ and even to myself. And there are many times when truths come forth that I'd never considered or known by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, even as I have spoken. This doesn't always happen as much as other times. Part of facilitating God speaking what he would say is to seek for his leading in the word of God. And as such, I have a practice of finding a particular chapter each day. And for the most part, I find that chapter by the casting of lots before God. I'm not going to go into all of that. It's uh, something that was practiced by Israel before the time of Christ and by the church throughout church history. And of course, is plainly recorded about in many verses in the Word of God. Today, I received Philippians chapter 3, actually, yesterday, and I received Philippians 4 today. So I have actually um, read both of those. I didn't give a message on the passage I had yesterday. But I will say that when I do meditate, I just meditate for half an hour on the chapter and make some brief notes. And so that's all I have here for Philippians 3 and possibly Philippians 4, but I only made notes and did a thorough meditation on Philippians chapter 3. So I will begin by reading Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 in the New Testament. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh 
that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost or lost for Christ? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Just going to take a brief drink of water, as I always tend to after reading a long chapter. I should also mention that the other chapter that I did read and meditate less on, chapter 4, it is worth reading certain sections of this, as these chapters are not long. And so I will also read in Philippians chapter 4 some of the verses. Therefore, my brethren, beginning in verse 1, clearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Judeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with the other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be made known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. 
These things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. So I've just read up to verse 9 in that second chapter. One thing that is brought out in a phrase here and there in the book of Philippians is this statement, rejoice in the Lord. And genuine joy that is not dictated by circumstances but is transcendent over the most adverse of circumstances comes out of relationship with God where identity has grown in relationship with God to the point that the things that would typically be the source of one's comfort and joy that are temporal in this world no longer are the things that are preeminent, preeminent as the manifestation of joy in one's life. As Christ said, Wherever your heart is, there is your treasure also. So if one's heart, if one's delight and their devotion and the reason that motivates them for live, for living is in some temporal thing in this world, whether it's identity in acceptance by their friends or by their family or some pleasure or adventure or whatever it might be, if that is the focus of one's life, when those things are taken away or crumble before them, then they, because they have put all their life, all their energy and their devotions and focus into those things, when those things crumble, they crumble with it. For that is where the roots of that plant, as it were, went into. So if suddenly that soil is overturned, obviously the plant is also overturned turned with it, or suddenly that soil is robbed of the life, obviously the plant withers, because its roots were not in what is ultimately real, ultimately satisfying, ultimately fulfilling and everlasting, which is only found in God. And so the emphasis of joy in the book of Philippians is related to relationship with God. And that relationship with God that is emphasized in Philippians and many other parts of the epistles through the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit emphasize that that relationship is through faith with God. There was an interesting statement made recently on Fox News by the lady as of this date when I'm giving this message on September the 18th of 2014, it was only a few days back or one or two days, that a lady was interviewed on Fox News who was severely persecuted for her faith. I believe it was in Ethiopia, somewhere in Northern Africa there. And she was given the sentence to be whipped terribly and then immediately after to be executed because of someone that 
probably more than one person, that made false accusations that she had converted from Islam to Christianity, when in actual fact, she was raised as a Christian all her life and chose to marry a Christian man that happened to be a citizen of the United States. And so she was put in jail and even was shackled to the floor when she had her child. Of course, this became a real prayer issue and an issue that came before many high positions in the American government and eventually, through a lot of pressure and whatever other things that happened, she was eventually released, although many times she was told she was released, even got to the airport and then the people stopped her. But through the prayers of many people, this lady managed with her husband to be released and brought back to the United States. And so they interviewed this lady that faced death and refused to give up her faith when the Muslim clerics and scholars came to her trying to convince her that it was worth giving up her faith to evade torture and death so that she could have her little child and so on. But in the face of all their threats and pressure day after day and torments, she was resolved if it meant that she would die, that she would die. And she was asked the question by Megan Kelly, the news reporter that interviewed her on Fox News. Why wouldn't you just say a few words so you could have a normal life and instead of going through all this torment? And her answer was this. If you do not have faith, you do not have life. If you do not have faith, in other words, all you're left with is emptiness inside your being. You don't have meaning or purpose or fulfillment. And she wasn't going to give up the intimacy of the very source of life that flowed through her, through her with eternal life in God, the Almighty's one, in her relationship as a Christian with Jesus Christ. Faith was the issue that made the difference with her. There are those that have testimonies of being put through great torture in the prisons in the time of the Soviet Union when there was severe persecution upon real believers. And there's the one that is well known by many Christians has written books like Tortured for His Faith and so on, Wormbrand. And he describes how though he was tortured and they put hot pokers in his body and did terrible things to him and he suffered incredibly, he maintained a relationship with God in the prison and in the midst of the dark dungeons where there was not the light of sun for, I think, years or whatever, the prison would fill up with the presence of God and would be filled with the light that would literally shine in the darkness and comfort him in the midst of his trials and cause him to know the rejoicing of relationship with, them, with God in the midst of absolute contradiction 
to any possibility of joy in the natural. In this passage of Scripture, Paul the Apostle describes those that oppose such a relationship with God in verse 2. And he says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. This is a description of the state of people that can be very religious and yet very antichrist in their nature to the point that they severely persecute those that are truly brought forth of God, born of the Spirit, are the sons of God and the daughters of God, so to speak. Sons of God. Actually, sons means, son means expression. That are the ex expression of who God is on the earth out of relationship that they have with God. And they're described as dogs. Because dogs bark over any little issue. The untrained dog will bark over the slightest little thing that comes before it and make it a big scene, so to speak. This is why a dog represents division. Those that have a root of pride that causes division. The Word of God says in Proverbs that contention comes by pride. Pride is a state of self-worship that is diametrically opposed to having a relationship with God, which is the opposite of worshiping self. It is the worship of God that is described in the next verse here. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. The definition of a heretic if you look it up in the Greek that is described in the Word of God, when it says a heretic reject after the first and second admonition, the understanding and the meaning of the word heretic is the understanding of someone that is opinionated and becomes divisive over non-issues, over minors, over things that are not really issues that have anything to do with making a difference of any significance in our relationship with God. But even those, Paul the Apostle says, that we are to have an attitude towards them, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, peradventure they will recover themselves from the snare of the devil. And the devil's snare is hooked into our being to manipulate our lives when we give him ground by being in conformity to his nature, which is a state of pride, a state of self-righteousness, a state of self-worship that is fortified in various belief systems that feed that state that is an anti-existent, anti-life state of being. Do you think that people can be in heaven, that have hell in their heart, 
that would be contentious and filled with unforgiveness? If God was to condone their unforgiveness, if God was to condone their state of pride that is an enmity in its constitution of being with who God is, he would be condoning what is contrary to his nature. But because God's love has absolute integrity and purity, it is a blazing fire of judgment against the slightest that is contrary to love. So those that claim to be born again of the Spirit and hold forgiveness in their heart towards others have not recognized the greatness of God's mercy to them and are probably, in the first place, never been born again of the Spirit or there would be forgiveness in their hearts towards those that have offended them. Rather than feeding into issues that cause division and hurt in other people's lives and fortify a state of being in one that is contrary to the being of God's love, that sends them to a place of separation from the love of God because of the rebellion against his love, evident in their failure to recognize and be receptive to the mercy of God towards them in the way that they have treated others out of offense rather than forgiveness. And in this passage of Scripture, it describes the dogs. It describes that these people are evil workers. And they are also called the concision. Now, the word concision if you look it up in the Greek, it means a cutting down or a cutting off. It also means mutilation. And you look it up a little bit further and it has the understanding of basically uh, opposition. An opposition with such intensity that it has the effect of cutting down the people before them of seeking to mutilate them. It's intense opposition that seeks to cut down and to mutilate. That is what Paul is talking about when he talks about the concision. And of course, he's thinking of those that make circumcision an issue of relationship with God. Where they emphasize the outward performance of some religious ritual is essential and more important in a relationship with God than the circumcision of the heart. And so he uses a play in words, and he uses this word concision, which speaks in a sense of circumcision because circumcision involves a cutting. But he's talking about their cutting being a cutting that is destructive, that is not the true circumcision of the heart. He's describing a state of being that is like a sword that seeks to bring death through even using the very word of God, death in the souls and lives of others, that which is destructive, that which will cause division. The word of God says that we are to take heed lest any root of bitterness springs up among any of us as believers and defiles many because when there's bitterness, when there's unforgiveness, whether it's towards God and what he's allowed in one's life or both and towards others, when that happens, 
the offense seeks to spread itself by telling others rumors about others and causing others to have a wrong viewpoint of others so that there's misunderstanding and rejection and it grows like a leaven causing disunity and unforgiveness to spread. And so we are to be aware of those that would feed into this divisiveness and the body of Christ. That fail to genuinely from the heart know what it is to forgive others through knowing a relationship with God that is reciprocative of the great forgiveness and mercy of God and his grace in their lives. Paul emphasizes the contrast of these people, that we are the circumcision. That is the circumcision of the heart. Which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now the understanding of the circumcision of the heart, I will explain here and also in some measure lay a foundation for those that are new and have never heard the good news of relationship with God that they can have and enter into this very day. First, I want to emphasize that in order to enter in to a genuine relationship with God involves choosing to genuinely fear God. So I must first describe what it means to genuinely fear God. And in order to describe that, I must first describe before that basically the being of God. Because the fear of God, the choice to fear God, is a choice to recognize God from the heart, not a mere intellectual assent. A choice to recognize God for who he truly is to us personally and in every other way. But it is a choice to be reciprocative of who God is. A choice to first acknowledge God and out of that acknowledgement be reciprocative of who God is. And so God is described in the word of God in his very being as love. It says in 1 John, in two different verses, God is love. So what is love? God created us as beings that would have the capacity to love. He created us with our own free will. We are the source of our own action because it is only as having our own free will that we will have the capacity to not be robots, but to be truly self-originating in our choices, our own creators, so to speak. So God created us with our own free will. So love has in it free will. And in God, that free will always chooses the highest lasting good over any more immediate choice of satisfaction that would be less and thus have a measure of destructibility in it. 
Love is more than a feeling. The highest form of love known in the Bible is agape love. May contain all of that, but it may not. It is a choice to choose the highest lasting good, which is always on to the highest good that is contained in God, for God is the source of ultimate good. It is love that has a quality to choose the highest lasting good that is necessary. But such love must be ultimately pure. It must be a blazing fire of judgment against the slightest that is contrary to love. This is the defensive aspect of God's being of love. In a sense, you can find a good illustration in nature in the fact that nature has all these negatives and positives. And this is the ultimate, as it were, negative of the universe, which is not really a negative. It's a great positive. But we'll describe it as a negative in the sense that it requires judgment against all that is contrary to love, all that is destructive. The second law of thermodynamics in science makes it clear. It says that everything left on its own will always go in the direction of greater and greater disorder and chaos and destruction to complete randomness. And anything that is left cut off from the source of ultimate good, of ultimate life, which is God, will also obviously go in that direction. For God is the source of life. His being of love is the very container of what is ultimately real. Dictionaries describe reality or truth. They describe truth as that which is real. And then you look up the word reality and truth and it's described as basically that which is unchangeable, which is everlasting, which is indestructible. And what is indestructible is this quality of being that has such total purity that it will judge the slightest that is contrary. It is only that quality of being that can contain unlimited life, unlimited power, without being corrupted by it or without allowing corruption in that power and life. And as such is indicative that it is also the very source of unlimited power and life that is contained in a state that has no corruption in it that is ultimately constructive and ever-enlarging and creative expression uh, of love. Of, of goodness. So this integrity of God's love, which is the holiness of God, or the defensive aspect of his love, is the foundation from which springs forth God's power to have creative purpose and creativity that has no corruption in it. No time to explain why we have corruption in us because the fact that you create beings with free will give, allows that potential to make choices that are contrary. God's purpose to bring us into unity with his. But it is out of this foundation, which is represented in the negative symbol, which also speaks of a foundation, that springs forth the positive, which is in the form of a cross. And the positive is that expression of love that can be creative without any corruptibleness. And I could go and talk about this and it would be a long message. 
But basically, this was ultimately expressed in the power of God to forgive his creation that faced temptation and failed and sinned against God. There are the angels that directly sinned against the direct presence of God's blessing without temptation. That's a different situation. But his creation that was created and faced temptation and sin, God can assure destiny to. Because out of the foundation of this holiness of God, there springs such a perfection of creativity to the point that God chooses to have a corporate bride That's his ultimate purpose. And seeks that bride and is able to assure to his creation destiny and purpose because within him there is, out of such purity of love, the capacity to be a perfect atoning sacrifice and take judgment upon himself for his creation. And so it is that the one true God expressed himself into this time and space realm in Jesus Christ and suffered more than you, a mere creature, and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, taking judgment upon himself for you so that you could repent and be reconciled to God. So the other aspect of God's being is the mercy of God that springs out of the holiness or the integrity of God's law. The mercy of God that is ultimately able to assure forgiveness and destiny in a corporate bride to be in union with him forever. And when we choose to fear God, there is first the recognition of this negative, as it were, or this holiness aspect of God out of which we recognize that we deserve his judgment, that we do not deserve to receive mercy because of our willful disobedience, but out of which we recognize that God has such great love for what he's created that he's provided within himself the assurance of destiny to those that repent and receive his forgiveness, because he took judgment upon himself for us. Oh, I could go into a lot more depth in all of this. But the recognition of these two things about God, and I just want to briefly explain for those of a background that that people, many people believe that Christians believe in three gods, but we do not. We believe there is only one God, but God to govern the ultimate three aspects of existence, which are beyond time and space, in time and space, and filling all space, means that he must be in personage in those dimensions. So beyond time and space, God is known as the Father, which speaks of being the originator and the one that can see the end from the beginning. He's beyond time and space. The Son, the word Son means expression, is the full expression of the Father, the originator, into the time and space realm. So he must be in personage in the time and space realm to communicate with his creation. 
and to fellowship with his creation and govern within the created realm. And as the Holy Spirit, he is an omnipresence, being able to be in personage and in creativity at all places at the same time, filling all things. And this one God has provided forgiveness because within him, because of the purity of his being, there is the foundation to express that creativity without corruption to the point of being able to assure mercy and forgiveness by providing himself as a perfect atoning sacrifice. And before he came, people recognized that he was the source of forgiveness because he had such an ultimate moral capacity of love to become a perfect atoning sacrifice. They recognized the animals could only cleanse the physical and allow God's presence to dwell with them. And in that, they experienced fellowship with God and being born again, such as Enoch and Abraham and many others. But here I am. I'm not going into this except for those that are new to give them an understanding and a foundation. So when in this passage of Scripture here, we are looking at the word circumcision, for we are the circumcision. Now, circumcision takes place by the cutting of a sharp instrument. There's another scripture that says in Hebrews 4.12 that this the word of God, the spirit of the word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword that cuts apart the division between soul and spirit that reveals the very motives of the heart and so on. That's in Hebrews 4.12. That two-edge represents the two aspects of God's being. First, the holiness of God or the integrity of his love that is totally pure. And secondly, out of that, the other aspect of God's being, which is the grace of God or the mercy of God. It's more described as the grace of God in the New Testament and the word mercy of God in the Old Testament basically has the same meaning as grace in the New. And so, when we choose to fear God, it allows that sword to go into the depth of our soul and cause a severing of our, our spirit is that aspect of us that has the capacity to worship. And in a state where we are not born again of the spirit and cut off from God and choosing our own way and, and filled with our own desires, it is that our spirit is worshiping our soul. Our soul is the consciousness of who we are. If you look at it, that's the real root meaning in the Hebrew. And I'm not going to go in depth into all of those meanings. And so we are worshiping self. We're in a state of self-worship. And some people are deceived into that state of self-worship by making the law, the Ten Commandments, their focus rather than their relationship with God, so that they cause the Ten Commandments and the law and all of its ceremonial rules to be the focus 
so that they make it into an idol because they have made that their focus rather than recognizing who God is, choosing to genuinely fear him and recognize his ultimate goodness that is contained in the integrity of his love, that is contained in the mercy that issues out of the integrity of his love, in forgiveness to assure his creation destiny. And if he couldn't, if he created beings that he could not assure purpose and destiny, it would imply God is imperfect. God isn't imperfect. He is ultimately perfect in love. And this love is so great that when we really choose from our heart to turn to God and recognize and be, be in utter awe of who he is, and usually it takes circumstances of pressure to expose the emptiness of our being, which has been seeking to satisfy itself with things that can never satisfy because we are only created to find completeness, to find fulfillment in our inner being in God. It's only reality that can satisfy the inner depths of our being, and God is the very source of reality because reality is that which is totally devoid of destructibility, of death. It is the fullness of goodness that has no corruptibility in it, that is contained in this integrity of love, that it can be transcendent in the assurance of destiny towards its creation through God's perfect atoning sacrifice on the cross in himself and Jesus Christ. But when people come to a point where they recognize their need of God, there is a true cry in their heart as Christ described true conversion, he said it this way, there was a publican that would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but buried his face in the dirt and beat his breast and cried out with a deep rending in his heart and a loud cry and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Christ said that man was truly justified before God because he saw his utter need of God that he wasn't the source of his own life and his own destiny, that he deserved judgment, but that he could receive mercy from God. He had faith to trust and receive God's forgiveness. I saw yesterday night on an interview on Glenn Beck, which is at theblaze.com, him interviewing a man that was an atheist that hated Christians and did, tried to do everything against people that believed in God. And he interviewed him to ask him, how in the world did he end up becoming a Christian, a true follower of Christ, really, from what I can tell? And this atheist began to describe what happened to him that changed his life. And, he mentioned, and he's written a book which is based upon Matthew, I believe, if I'm remembering this right, it's probably Matthew 14, 33. I'll try to see if I can see it here on my iPod at the moment. Matthew 14.33. It might still... No, it's Matthew 13.44. And it says there in Matthew 13.44, And again the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in the field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. 
This man wrote about his conversion based upon this verse. So his book is based upon Matthew 13, 44, which I believe is in, also in the title of his book. So. This is an example of someone who saw the treasure in the field. He was brought to a place where he saw that there was no meaning in his life. Yes, he believed there was no God and all that, but he had a crisis in his life where his little child, he had to stay up late at night because his sweet little girl that was born to him had a terrible defect that was causing him to have to look after her continually. And it brought him to a point where he began to recognize the meaninglessness of his life and the meaning of this little girl that was brought forth into his life that he loved so much and of those that were showing such compassion and love. And it brought him to eventually the realization of what is really real. Relationship with God. Relationship with the very source of reality was called the I am that I am. In Hebrew, Ahiya, Asher Ahiya. Jesus Christ said, I am that I am. He is the Almighty's one, also known in the Hebrew as Elohim. I've described the plurality of the one true God in government in three personages that is not three gods, but one God. And this atheist entered into a deep relationship with God. And when that happens, there is automatically worship in spirit because this is the thing that involves our spirit being severed from worshiping our soul in deception. People that believe they can get rid of ego through some philosophical religion that applies some form of meditation only refine their ego beyond the comprehension of their mind and end up being depersonalized. And they always, you cannot crucify ego. There's always one hand that will be left unnailed. The only way that can happen is in the recognition that it is not within the creature to save himself or themselves or herself. It is coming to the place of recognizing and facing ultimate reality. That it is only can be contained that is life without distraction in this quality of love that is a blazing fire of judgment against the slightest contrary to it and yet transcended out of that in expressions of creativity that is ultimately manifested in God's mercy shown to creation in the crucifixion of Christ Jesus on the cross who conquered death once for all so that we could come out of the destructiveness in our being. And so when we see who God is, that is a seeing of that two-edged sword that severs the soul from the spirit, and we reach out in faith. And faith involves our human spirit and our soul coming from a closed state, a clenched state like a fist, 
or a state that is like a black hole in outer space that is sucking everything into itself and its attempt to find fulfillment in self and only creating a greater destructibility around them in the process. Covetousness is described as idolatry, and some people's idolatry is their religion because they are, in actual fact, exalting themselves and worshiping themselves in their focus on trying to keep the Ten Commandments and be pleasing to God because their focus is not on who God is. It is on their performance and who they are and whatever you trust is where you're giving your glory, your worth, and your worship. But it's when one comes to that point where they let go and let God have his way and their spirit and soul open up like a surrendered hand which represents a state of selflessness. Word of God describes in Romans that faith, that boasting is excluded by the law of faith. A state of selflessness when we open up in reciprocation of the mercy of God, and in that mercy we see the greatness of his love to us personally, that we could repent and receive his forgiveness. And we cry out like the publican, a deep cry from the depths of our being. We call upon the name of the Lord, as it says in Romans, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that is right after the verse that says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It is a belief. The word belief in the Greek here. And the New Testament is pistis, which means moral persuasion. It's a moral persuasion in who God is that causes a reaching out in faith. And that reaching out in faith re results in the presence of God's Spirit coming in because our soul and spirit is cleansed by the blood of Christ, because we're receiving His forgiveness. And so, the other hand, that's an open hand representing the Spirit of God in a totally pure state, that is the Holy Spirit of God, comes and rests against our open hand. And so we have two hands which symbolize prayer and also symbolize the new divine seed, the new divine nature of faith, which is clearly described in 1 John when it says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, and it describes it and says, for whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith involves a reaching out to God that is reciprocative out of the fear of God and works by recognizing the love of God that is out of the fear of God seen in the mercy of God. And this is the secret of ever growing into a greater and a greater abiding relationship in God. Where our identity ever enlarges and increases and is transformed into greater and greater conformity to who God is. In his being of love. So we do not put any confidence in ourselves. We do not worship ourselves or trust in ourselves, which is a state of deceptive self-worship. But we practice the circumcision of the heart through reciprocating who God is 
by having a life of much waiting on God in prayer, of seeking God in prayer and seeking God in his word. And so Paul makes it very plain in Philippians chapter 3 here. that he has no confidence in all his own righteousness which he achieved through keeping the law out of his own effort. And his background and his zeal for righteousness in relation to the law. He says in verse 8, or in verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless I count all things but loss. And he's describing that his gain he thought was in all of his performance before God. But now he counts it all loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. That's the excellency of knowing Christ intimately, knowing God in Christ intimately. Through this reciprocative relationship out of the fear of God for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. When our heart is truly turned to the Lord, the veil is taken away, and we see that treasure in the field. And many people are so hungry because they've been so deceived and they've tried in so many ways in their own independence and rebellion against God to find fulfillment in their lives that they've come to the place like the prodigal son of absolute desperation they loathe their own deception and the deception of those around them and the deception of all these religious belief systems that feed self and claim to even get rid of self when in fact they do the opposite. And they come to the point where they don't want anything but what's ultimately real, what's ultimately trustworthy, and they finally are open to truth and they begin to recognize the truth like this atheist. And they cry out and God comes into their lives with his presence and his spirit and they grow into a relationship with God and are assured a destiny that will go on forever in heaven in fellowship with the corporate bride of Christ before God in heaven. And yes, it's worth it all to know an intimate relationship with God all the other things are insignificant. They are counted as dumb compared to having such a relationship. Paul says in verse 9 that he wants to be found in him not having his own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Because it is out of that relationship where faith is exercised. It's not always the feeling, yes, one will experience the presence of God. But there are times when one is tested and tried. And in those times, one needs to learn to reach out with their spirit. Recognition of who God is, independent of whether we experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit in our trial or not. There will be those times when God will comfort us with his presence in the midst of trials. But we can know the joy of faith. This joy that is talked about so much in Philippians is described in various verses. 
as the joy of faith. The joy comes out of a relationship with God. And the conductor of that relationship is the exercise of our soul and spirit towards God out of the fear of God in faith. A recognition and reciprocation of God's love. The word of God says in Galatians that faith works by love, and it does. It is in the recognition of God and his mercy out of which we recognize God and his love that we reach out and exercise our soul in faith in worship, and appreciation, and thankfulness, and fellowship with God. That's why it says in the word of God, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him. The true persuasion of belief or of faith comes out of a choice to enter into the fear of God and recognize which is a choice to recognize and be reciprocative of who God is in his holiness and in his mercy. And if we become offended because of the consequences of suffering around us due to the rebellion of man against God and of Satan against God, and we become offended at what God has allowed, then we become in danger of a self-oriented distortion of who God is and forming our own idolatrous perception of God, either as a dictator, God that is holy and dictatorial without goodness and mercy, as Cain began to view God out of offense for the curse, or God whose love has no integrity and that is embracing all those things that are contrary to God's love in a deception of a false unity that condones sin in the lives of others. God is calling us to be those like Paul the Apostle that have such a vision for this treasure hid in the field that we sell all that we have that we might gain that treasure. Initially it happens before conversion with many like the prodigal son finally are looking for that treasure in the field and recognizing where it is. But it is an ongoing process of ever being enlarged in that vision through abiding out of the fear of God in God. So that like King David, we can say, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, to behold the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life. Yes, the beauty of God, where, is it, where does that spring from? Well, it springs out of the whole holiness of God because out of the holiness of God springs forth wholeness, a state of being in which there's no corruption, where there's total fulfillment, where there's total reality that ultimately satisfies the very core of our being. And it is out of that wholeness that springs forth genuine beauty. God, who has created all things so beautiful that are not tainted with rebellion of the creation against God, is the ultimate source of beauty and therefore ultimately beautiful. And so our desire should be to see God with the eye of our heart and desire to know that relationship with him where we see that treasure of who God is and our relationship with God in an ever greater way out of abiding in him so that 
We can say with Paul the Apostle that we count all the things in this world but dung that we might know an intimate relationship with God. Brethren, in verse 13, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God is calling us as his people to press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. To not lose out on our destiny and be robbed of the reason for which we were created but to enter the full potential for which God created us. Why not enter into it? There is where we'll find ultimate, ever-enlarging fulfillment. In this passage of Scripture, Paul the Apostle's desire is to be made conformable on to the death of Christ. He says this in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Conformity to the death of Christ here in verse 10 is conformity to the being of God revealed in Christ on the cross, which is by faith and not self-trust. Christ did not condone sin on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He took the judgment of sin upon himself and he stepped out so that people could respond to his choice to forgive them and if they repent, receive it. But God will judge those that rebel against God's offer of forgiveness. And so we are to be those that hate what God hates out of his love and what God hates is contrary to love and that love what God loves, which was ultimately manifested in the greatness of God's requirement of judgment on his very own son, the integrity of his love that required judgment, and the great mercy of God to take judgment upon himself for his creation, which is a love that is so beyond our comprehension. It should cause us to break the alabaster box at his feet like the woman out of appreciation for the forgiveness that she received. She broke that precious perfume of her life that was her life savings in utter thankfulness. The woman that wiped the feet, wiped with the tears of her hair, the feet of Christ in appreciation for his forgiveness, a lavish love that breaks the shell of our own comfort zones. To experience an enlarging into a greater relationship of love with God. God is calling us as his church to be those that in these last days reap the harvest that is before us 
but coming out of the shells of our own little world and reaching out of the love, love relationship we have with God to those around us and pointing them to Christ. And being part of the body of believers that come out of the shell of their own ways, of denominationalism and control, and be a church that becomes the house of prayer that is in awe before God and starts those meetings in great humility and reverence out of which springs great liberty and joy and the gifts of the Spirit and adulation and praise unto God. I cannot continue to share much longer. This message is already probably over an hour. Thank you for listening to this message. May we be those that see that treasure hid in the field, that see the prize of the high calling of God that is before us, and not allow any of the clutter of this world to rob us of that relationship. Thank you for listening to this message. God bless you all.